Downloads of the show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. Oh my God. Hey kids, you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, February 27th, 2018. The heat was on in New York City this past week as the temperatures almost hit 80 degrees. And the uh, weather people said that that was the highest temperature ever recorded for February, ever. So, the heat was also on for certain politicians across this country as well, as high school students across the nation set out to finish the job their grandmothers started. That's right, protest is here. I think maybe we are coming to full circle to what was going on in the 60s, and maybe it's because we didn't finish the job back then, but these kids are going to do it, because these kids are all right. Because remember, when the East is in the house, oh my God, when the kids are in my ha- in the house, you don't know what's going to happen. Time to act shiesty. Come out of spicy to your ass. That is pricely, costing. You get baked like Mr. Boston. Beans in a box. You need more strength than just locks. I rock hardcore even when I dress suited. On some business shit. My street is deep rooted. What is the shit? Rappers want to blossom, but they all are costume. Thinking we buffoon. I tell you soon, you'll end the hard way. Stems and blunts going Broadway to the theater. Hot rocks is getting weirder, like Vera from Alice. The East is in your palace on some proper shit, and it will never. back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Blase Blase with Danger, otherwise known as When the East is in the House, from the Blah 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 album in 1995. I don't often repeat songs episode per episode of this, but this is an exception. 
This song was picked by Gaston Almonte, who was on um, interviewed actually a couple of times. He I, we did one interview with him in season one, and he appeared in the holiday special with no holiday music from the Footlight Bar just this past holiday. Well, Gaston and our guest artist this week have something in common. They both hail from the same neighborhood. Bet you can guess what that is. Well, if you can't, we're going to keep the music in Brooklyn right now with this song, picked by this week's guest artist to open her episode. Yeah, this album is dedicated to all the teachers that told me I never amount to nothing. To all the people that lived above the buildings that I was hustling from that called the police on me when I was just trying to make some money to feed my daughter. And all the niggas in the struggle, you know what I'm saying? It's all good, baby, baby. Uh. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Something pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock till my tape pop. Smoking weed and bamboo, sipping on private stock. Way back when I had the red and black lumberjack with the hat to match. Remember rapping Duke? The hard, the hard. You never thought that hip hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight, cause I rhyme tight. Time to get paid, blow up like the world trade. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Raw G, Brucey B, Kick and Free. Funk Master Flex, Love Bug Star Ski. I'm blowing up like you thought I would. Call a crib, same number, same hood. It's all good. Uh. And if you don't know, now you know, nigga. Personal with Robin Leach, and I'm far from cheap. I smoke soap with my peeps all day. Spread love, it's the Brooklyn way. The Moet and Alize keep me pissy. Girls used to diss me, now they write letters cause they miss me. I never thought it could happen, this rapping stuff. I was too used to packing gats and stuff. Now honeys play me close like butter play toast. From the Mississippi down to the East Coast. Condos in Queens, in dough for weeks. Sold out seats to hear Biggie Small speak. Living life without fear, putting five carrots in my baby girl ear. Lunches, brunches, interviews by the pool. Considered a fool, cause I dropped out of high school. Stereotypes of a black male misunderstood. And it's still all good, uh. And if you don't know, now you know, nigga. Genesis. When I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this. 50-inch screen, money green, leather sofa. Got two rides, a limousine with the chauffeur. Phone bill about two G's flat. No need to worry, my accountant handles that. And my whole crew is lounging. Celebrating every day, no more public housing. Thinking back on my one-room shack. Now my mom pimps a act with minks on the back. And she loves to show me off, of course. Smiles every time my face is up in the sauce. We used to fuss when the landlord dissed us. No heat, wonder why Christmas missed us. Birthdays was the worst days. Now we sip champagne when we thirsty. Uh, damn right I like 
the life I live Cause I went from negative to positive And it's all And if you don't know Now you know, nigga Uh And if you don't know, now you know, nigga. And if you don't know, now you know, nigga. Representing B-Town in the house. Junior Mafia, Mass Label. And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Juicy by the notorious B.I.G., otherwise known as Biggie Smalls, otherwise known as Christopher Wallace, from his Ready to Die album, his debut album, in 1994. Well, kids, I bet you can guess what time in the show this is. That's right. Now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa. Welcome to Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week. Woohoo! And I'm sitting across the table from someone whom I don't know for very long, but has become one of my new favorites. <laughs> yes, I know. Every week I say that people are my favorite because it's true. Everyone is Michelle's favorite. So welcome to Fish Out of Agua, the lovely, the um, talented, and crazy-ass friggin' performer activist, Jasmine Fernandez. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to have you here. So, um, I asked everybody when we speak with Fish Out of Agua, how and where did we meet? So, Michelle and I met at the Arts and Humanity Action fundraiser um, that took place in, I want to say, maybe it was October or November. This was in December. Oh, look at that. It was December. December. It, was, it, it was feels Dece- so long it, ago. I know. <laughs> it, was, it was December 5th in Brooklyn at the Knitting Factory. Yes, 
Yes, absolutely. It was the brainchild of the amazing Nicole Ferraro, who uh, this was not the first um, activist slash storytelling event that she curated. She curated one in uh, tw in December 2016 at the LGBTQ Center in the West Village for another call. So um, the reason why, dear listeners, I was so enamored of Jasmine immediately when when I met her is not just because she told a kick-ass story, not just because she works with a kick-ass foundation, Women of Color for Progress, for progress mm -hmm. which is such, like one of the best uh, job company names in the entire world, but Jasmine is, wait for it, another red-headed boniqua! Yes. So, so you have two slash two two redheaded Puerto Ricans in one interview. Yes. Uh, when, how often is rare. this going to happen? This is like rare, 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 so rare, 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 rare. Like rattle, 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 ma rattle, e demasiado rattle. And we both live in Brooklyn. And we both live in Brooklyn. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And we both have like this crazy curly hair too. Yes. Yes. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, no. Okay. So lest you think, why are they making a big deal out of it? Okay. So like redheads are like 3% of the general population. Maybe like two or one, honestly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're so rare. Yeah. But for redheaded Puerto Ricans, <laughs> woof. <laughs> we, we might as well be a unicorn that, that has sparkles coming out of its horn Absolutely. and, and uh, uh, glitter coming out of its hoo-ha. <laughs> I agree, especially for me. I grew up in East New York, Brooklyn, so to be a, a light-skinned redhead boricua in East New York is absolutely rare. I, same thing in my family. I'm the red sheep in my family, <laughs> but you don't have any becas. I don't. I get Becca's. I mean, more in the Becca's summertime. freckles. Oh yes, yes. We've got to keep yeah. translating. Yeah. <laughs> I get more um, freckles during the summertime, and I, I don't have as many as you do on your face, but I do have them like on my back. Yeah, well, I'm up. a lot older than you. You know, they, they, these these are freckles of experience. No, no. I, I've always had some some sort of freckles, even when I was really young. One of my grandmothers used to tell me that they were angel kisses. And then she would also say that El Señor wasn't sure if he wanted to make you brown or beige, so he made you both. Oh, I love that story. I went to Catholic school from kindergarten to eighth grade, and I had a nun um, named Sister Alice who would tell me, um, she said, you know, your, your freckles are kisses from God. So I like the angel story more, though. It's from El Cielo, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 it's from, from the sky. From, from the, the sky. sky. The spirit in the sky created the red-headed Puerto Ricans. <laughs> I don't mind. That this could be there could be worse I love things. It. So we've already established that you are a New Yorkan. You're a what? native New Yorker. Were your parents born here also, or you or were they born in PR? No, my parents were born here. I'm actually half Puerto Rican and half Nicaraguan. Oh, okay. Yeah. So wow. So how much rarer are redheads in Nicaragua? Yeah, really rare. <laughs> so were you? Were you the type of child that always wanted to perform? Do you come from a family that has a history of performance or creativity? Yeah. But in terms of actual, um, I guess, trained in, in the performing arts, no one in my family, as you know, as a typical Latino family, we love music and dance. So growing up, the holidays was always centered around salsa and playing domino. But for me, I knew really young that I wanted to perform. I started dancing when I was two and a half. Wow. Um, and I trained in contemporary modern. And so I danced for the first, I want to say, 19 years professionally. And then I got into theater um, around high school, and I did a lot of performing arts, off-Broadway production. 
Um, and then in college, I started directing. Well, here's the thing. Um, I'm actually a policy advisor in city government. That's my full-time job. Okay. So I'm in public service, I'm focusing on education policy. Um, but at heart, you know, I'm an artist. And um, I still very much am connected to the arts and most recently have been trying to be more intentional about getting back into performing. Because it's, it's, it's just a way to express yourself that you can't in a day job. Absolutely. I think for me, the arts was my creative outlet. Um, I grew up in East New York, Brooklyn. My parents had me really young. They were teenagers, 16 wow. and 18. Um, are they still together? Un no, they're not together. Um, my father actually passed away in 2011. Oh, oh it's okay. Sorry. I have an amazing um, stepdad who over the years I've grown to call him dad. And he's been in my life for many, many years. But... Um, while my father was incarcerated, you know, the arts was my my outlet for expressing myself. And so as early as the age of 10, I started writing. Um, but the first poem that I really realized, like, wait, maybe I'm pretty good at this. Maybe I should, like, get a journal and start writing my entries was after I went to visit my dad at Rikers. On the way back from that visit, I took a napkin and just, like, wrote down my thoughts. And it was that moment where I was like, I need to keep doing this because it's the way that I'm able to cope with what's happening at home. Um, and so I continued to write for many, many years and continued to dance. Um, and then in college, I think that was when I realized that there was an opportunity to combine the arts and advocacy. And so I started doing... Where did you go to college? Fairfield University in Connecticut. It's a Jesuit university. Um, and I founded an organization called Performing for Change. And we would put on productions based off of our true life stories. So we would talk about issues of you know, sexual abuse, domestic violence, um, body image. Um, you know, sexuality and gender through our original spoken word, through dance, through singing. And, um, you know, that was the first time where I realized, you know, there is actually a space for me to combine those passions of arts and social justice. Um, and I think in particular for young people, young people of color, the arts is a huge tool um, to express ourselves and, and to share our stories and, and our talent. Yeah, it's really it's really important because our stories, especially as women, I mean, not just as people of color, but of, especially as women, our stories have been the ones that have been dismissed, discounted, and discarded mm -hmm. throughout history. Mm -hmm. So one of the, the, the two movements that has seemed to have just risen up with the with the cusp of the new year mm -hmm. besides the me too movement is the time's up movement absolutely and you know the, the times time's up is i think was originally started the times up for predators people that sexually right. harass and and violate people but you can also take the times up as a metaphor for times up being for a lot of things right and absolutely. times up is like times up that we're going to be silent right times up that you know the stories that we've been writing in our rooms and in our workshops are going to find a, a larger stage and that they're going to be heard mm -hmm. and there are many many people and and more and more organizations like yours mm -hmm. and like what Nicole is doing like what Asha Novak is doing so I see this as such like I love to use the word progressive because mm -hmm. that's such a loaded mm -hmm. word these days but it is progress and and what what do you, what's your take on that well first so many thoughts I, I want to quickly go back to your point about um, this being a time for women in particular I think um, I I, I come into this work, in the work of the arts and advocacy, through the intersections of both 
being um, a Latina and a woman. And so for me, those two identities have very much shaped my experiences. And in regards to continuing to share those stories, I absolutely agree with you that like the time is up and that can be in so many ways. Um, for me, it's about really not allowing the naysayers um, to kind of dictate where I want to go in my career as a woman, as a Latina, um, and really being proud of those intersections, especially in like the policy field, um, where oftentimes there are very few women, women of color, um, at the at the table making those key decisions. But also in terms of you know, like you mentioned, everything that's happening with the the truth that's coming out of all these men who have sexually abused women. I think that this is an opportunity for people to know that they are not alone and that they should not be ashamed um, and that there is such a huge movement of people who are with them and supporting them. Um, and my hope is that you know people continue to share their stories, um, but at the same time that other people don't use this as a moment to tokenize. Um, right. I, I think you have to really understand that these are people's stories and people's experiences and people's trauma. And the fact that people are sharing may also have some triggers in that process, right? And so we as a people, um, as a community, need to remember to listen. And yes, that's listen. the thing. To I think listening is the hardest thing of all that you know so many conversations are happening on social media now mm -hmm. whereas you know maybe 10 years ago right. there would be a rally or right. there would be a gathering right. and then you would have individual conversations right. that maybe would involve like what maybe 10 15 people mm -hmm. or you'd have like a keynote speaker that would speak to the group but now you have and the and those would all be people that were there for a reason right. these would be people that were invited or who were interested and were there for a reason right. and you can have this huge overarching dialogue with the entire world and in one sense it's amazing and in another sense it's solidifying mm -hmm. because you get nowhere people take things the wrong way Absolutely. and then and then like in five minutes somebody who asked who asked a legit question depending on who was the one asking the question it becomes heads on sticks Absolutely. It like you said, it, um, you know, there's two sides to it. In yeah. one way, it can spread awareness. Um, and, and yes. And then in another way, it's also like we lose the human element. Yes. Right? And we lose the element of actually sitting down with someone and having to convey your thoughts and having a dialogue, right? Um, this reminds me, last, last year for the holidays, I spent um, the holidays with my fiancé and his family's from the South. And I was really nervous because I knew that some of his family members had voted for Trump. And so I was anticipating what the dinner conversation was oh going to look God, like. Oh, God. Did you right? think it was going to be like that movie <laughs> Get Out? <laughs> um, thankfully, my, my future in-laws are super progressive and super loving. But, um, you know, other members of the family I knew had very strong political views and identified as Republicans. And... I, I didn't know what to expect, and I was really nervous, but t much to my surprise, we were able to actually sit down um, and have a conversation and say, well, why, why do you feel that way? As, you know, can you tell me more? Let's talk about this. And we were there for maybe two and a half, three hours having dinner and wine and having this conversation, and at the end of the conversation, I remember looking at my fiance and smiling like, wow, this just happened, right? Um, and I know that's a really rare situation, and I'll be honest, it took me a while to get to a point where 
I could speak to, to you know, not them in particular, but just people in general who were Trump supporters. Um, I think I'm at a point now where sometimes it gets exhausting when you're constantly having to explain um, white privilege and constantly having to exp- explain to people that there is bias and that they, everyone has implicit bias, right? Um, and as a person of color, oftentimes when you're the only or few people of color in your workspace now it's on you the burden is put on you yes. in the sense that people expect you to know everything and people expect you to speak for the entire community and right? you don't and, and you, you can't. can't and you can't <laughs> exactly and, and i always kind of felt that once people knew what my heritage was then they people would say well you don't look like one you don't act like one and i'm like well what is it supposed you don't sound like one like what is it supposed to sound like there was another incident when i i scammed leftovers from my grandma mm-hmm. when she was still alive and i was heating and i remember it was around the holidays and i heated up pastele and i had rocan gandules and i had pernil and i heated up the food in the microwave and one of the uh higher ups in yeah. the company i was working for at that time said who the hell is stinking up the office? And it's like, oh, Michelle just heated up her food. And this man came up to me and he said that my food was not appropriate for an office and not to bring those type of dishes in and heat them up anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was just devastated. Mm-hmm. Devastated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I can relate. In the workplace, I've been told, you know, you're intimidating. You're passionate. You're very passionate. And sometimes it can, it can be very assertive, very aggressive. Right. But yet you don't say that to the other people in the room no. right? because I'm outspoken because I, there's nothing wrong with but, being but, assertive. Right. But like you said, having to feel the pressure of like, wait, I need to like, I guess, code switch. Right. Like you, and, and it's unfortunate because you want to stay true to your values and who you are. But there's also this pressure of like, I need to make sure that I'm doing everything right, that I'm on my A game. I got to work twice as harder to prove myself. And for me, as as a younger woman, I feel that pressure even more because I am one of the youngest, you know. Um, and so feeling the pressure of like, I need to prove to people that I can do this work and, um, you know, that I am intelligent and I am capable. But then, like you said, being a woman and then being a Latina, um, you know, carrying those identities in the workplace is definitely something that yes. I'm still navigating. There was a point where I started overthinking my my like what type of attire to work um, or to wear to work because I remember one time I had a colleague who was like, wow, that dress looks really good on you, right? But in a really creepy type of way. Oh, like you were dressed for a date as it, opposed to work? Meanwhile, I had a, like a Calvin Klein, just regular dress, right? And then another time I had another colleague who was like, oh, that's all you're going to eat? And I was like running to a meeting, so I just grabbed like half a bagel. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's why your body looks like that. Ah. And so, again. Was this your friend? No. No. This was not a friend, actually. This was someone who was um, a senior level, um, you know, in in terms of his role in in the organization. But, again, um, it's really, really tiring and frustrating. Um, But I had this one mentor who once told me that, you know, this is why we're in this work, so that we can continue to open doors for other people who look like us. Like, she literally told me, right. she said, when I was looking at resumes, I looked at your zip code, and I saw 11208, and I said, it's not every day that someone from that zip code applies to a job here. East New York! And, you know it. and so that's really real, and I think, you know, it is difficult um, to navigate the workplace, the microaggressions, staying true to your identity, Um 
And then also having to acknowledge your privilege. I often tell my friends say that I feel like I have dual privilege because I'm seen as a white woman. The reality right. is it has given me certain access to certain spaces compared to my counterparts. Let's talk about this yeah. for a second because you and I both share, both because we both pre present Caucasian. Mm -hmm. We both we both benefit from pretty privilege. We, I mean, I'm going to speak mm -hmm. for myself now. <laughs> You're right. We, we, we benefit from pretty privilege. We right. benefit from, from a bit of white privilege, right. even though neither one of of us look exactly white so people would think that we're mixed right so we have mixed privilege right so how does do you think that affects perception as opposed to someone who's who's a couple of shades darker right no that's real um it is real it's so real and the reality is so growing up i went to school in eastern parkway before the current Eastern Parkway, the gentrified Eastern Parkway. Um, and so back then, there was a, a really big, I mean, and there's still Caribbean influence there, but a lot of Haitians, um, Trinidadians, Jamaicans. Um, and I remember the first time I was called a snowflake. And I was like, what? Oh, my God. I was like, hold up. Everybody thinks I'm white. And the girls in my high school also didn't think I was Latina enough, right? Enough. Um, so that, that's to, the thing. Enough. Having to fit in between those both worlds where you're like trying to prove to people that I am Latina and then sometimes within your own culture because I wasn't born in Puerto Rico, born in Nicaragua, um, I'm Americanized, right, in their in their eyes. Um, and then in the workplace, going back to your question, it's like you get treated differently and then once you say you're Latina, it's like, oh. Like, I don't know, I feel like there's a shift, yeah. you know, there's a shift in how I'm treated yeah. and how I'm perceived. Everything that you said, I wrote a book about it. How? It's called Fish Out of Agua. <laughs> and this is the extension of, of, of that because I, I realized that there were so many people that were in the same boat, so to speak, mm -hmm. that were too much of one thing and not enough of the other and okay. always having to balance an ethnic seesaw mm -hmm. and uh, were not um, totally accepted mm -hmm. by everybody so you end you end up becoming your your own entity absolutely and i think you know part of that too michelle i won't speak for you but for me it was also growing up none of the characters on cartoons no. or like even the novelas right the spanish soap operas or um like sitcoms all the Latinas always were like more brown or the J-Lo's, right? <laughs> or like there's a particular look, right? And I was like, I don't like look Rosie like... Rosie Perez. Right, right. right. And so I was like... Well, think about it in the 80s. <laughs> I'm not yet. No, I know. But like, so just imagine growing up in East New York, Brooklyn, being the only redhead and being like, I don't look like any of these people. And so for so many years, I kid you not, I would pray to God that he would make me more dark. Oh, and me too. And I would too. pray to God oh that he God. would change my hair color. Yes, I would have. Because I thought I was adopted for so many years. I was yeah. like, I wanted to have straight. I, I want to have straight brown hair and no freckles. And that's the thing. My my. Mm. Thank, thank God father, he didn't listen. <laughs> right, my gracias. My biological father, he was um, Taino Indian. Like in terms of his features, more dark and more trigueño. He would get really really dark during the summer times. Where me, I can't be in the sun for too long, right? But so growing up, I was so self conscious of my skin complexion of having my red hair and it took a long time to get to a place where I accepted myself and so now I embrace my curls I embrace being a redhead mm -hmm. I embrace you know um, my culture and my identity and that's a big part of my my spoken word piece that I'll be reading tonight called Yo Soy Boricua talks about how for so long yeah. I kept feeling like I needed to you know be in between and it got to a point where it's like no I'm not going to choose I am who I am and I know that Yo 
soy boricua, and I'm proud. But yes, yes, absolutely. I agree with everything you said 100%. The only thing that I would add as an addendum to that is that I have found, this is for me personally, like there will be certain conversations with, there's a group of Latina um, writers and, and performers that, that I see on Facebook all the time. I, I've performed with several of them, playwrights, educators, activists, all. And there will be some, um, you know, conversations and I have to step off mm-hmm. because, you know, I don't, I, I can not relate entirely mm-hmm. to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. So how, so I find myself in, in thinking about do we, from where we are, and I'm not speaking just for you and me, but anyone else that's mm-hmm. that's like us. Do we need to be an ally mm-hmm. as well? You know, when you're engaging with Latinos who are black and brown skin compared to us, what's our role in those settings? Um, I think it's about you know again finding that balance like yeah you said, because I, I, don't, I, I don't know what that that, that me either and is. i don't want to come off like i'm whining because i'm complaining well, the reality, because i do have the privilege that some other people absolutely. don't have and, but you see that's what it is i think it's about us in those spaces being allies because there are people who don't acknowledge that they do benefit from white privilege and i'm always the first to say i have dual privilege right in the sense that i'm seen as a white woman and it has benefited me unfortunately in in some ways right but then when i'm in those spaces yeah. in those spaces sometimes <laughs> i understand what you're saying too where i'll walk into a space and it's supposed to be my people but i'm getting the stairs and now i feel uncomfortable and now i feel like i don't belong right um and that like you said it, it is very frustrating i often find myself when i walk into bodegas i purposely purposely start speaking in yes Spanish. oh my god oh my god <laughs> because i'm yes. like and it's funny because my fiance, he's biracial, and so he looks Dominican. So everyone will always speak to him in Spanish, and then to me, they'll be like, hi, ma'am, how can I help you? And I'm like, pero coño, yo soy la Latina. Like, I don't understand. Like, what is that, right? And so, I don't know. It's definitely something that um, sometimes, till this day, gets under my skin sometimes. Um, but what I've learned is that I can pull out the Spanish when I want to, yes. especially on the trains when mm-hmm. I hear people bonchinchando and like giving the stare, I'll come out with the Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> but then also, again, going back to yeah. being allies, um, I think especially in this movement where we have a lot more Latinos embracing their blackness, like identifying yes. as Afro-Latina, our, at least for me, my role in there is to help them, um, you know, in, in owning that space and right. being an ally. Um, and because and not denying that we have it in exactly. us too. Even though you can't see it. It's still uh, there. It is part of our culture. Like, yep. And that's another yep. thing people seem to forget, yep. especially, unfortunately, what happened with Hurricane Maria. Like, the history of Puerto Rico, like, our culture, we are... A you mix know, of the conquered of and the conqueror. Right, exactly, right? That includes the Taino Indians, the African slaves, the European, you know, colonial masters. The the, um, the Irish indentured servants. Right. I mean, even though the, they, they were free after however many years, many of right. them stayed and intermarried. Right. I know because there's one on my mother's side of the family mm-hmm. where there's also African American. Right, and I think one thing that you said is not denying that it's within us as well. And that's yes. another thing that our people, the Latino community, still has work to do in terms of embracing no please so getting back to your work jasmine um was the fact that your dad was incarcerated did that was was that a factor in making you wanted to go into this line of work 
So to, for social justice and social change? That's a great question. Um, to be honest, it wasn't until recently that I was comfortable with actually sharing that. So this past spring was the first time that I shared that in a work setting. We were in a meeting about supporting children of incarcerated parents. And I said, I'm a child of a parent who was incarcerated. And everyone in the room was like, what? But, was that but, a room of people of color also? Was it, it, was, a, was, it, it was, was mixed? It was mixed. Yeah, it was mixed. Yeah, okay. mixed. Um, but um, people were like, but you work for, you know, this office within city government. And I was like, yeah, and? So, in other words, wait a second. I'm going to get colloquial here. So if your pops was in the joint, right. you can't have a responsible right. job, right, right. intelligent job. Right. So in other words, if your father was incarcerated, that means that, <laughs> You could not be an educated person. Right. That means you had to be polakaye. Right. And so that Ay was Dios. that was really interesting. Um, but no, I think I first Polakaye of the street. <laughs> I first started off my career um, working in youth development and, you know, working um, in art therapy. And I, I thought for a long time that would be my trajectory. Um, but then I ended up getting involved with the social justice movement thanks to some amazing professors, really learning about, um, you know, gender and sexuality studies and engaging in feminist theory. Um, and then I found myself really wanting to do more in the education system because I felt that there was such a huge disparity um, here at home. And so after traveling, I, you know, was in many different countries, many different cities. I decided it was time to come back to Brooklyn. I moved back in 2013 now. Um, and I was working for an international nonprofit at the time in a high school in Brooklyn. And my job there was to facilitate all of the community service learning projects, um, you know, service learning during school time, helping with the college access work. And I realized that there was a huge gap between the people who were working in the schools and the people who were creating the policies. Mm. And I said to myself, I know that there are people of color in this building, but who are the people creating the policies? And who were they? Did we you know find who they are. <laughs> <laughs> and so at that point, I decided to go back and get my master's in urban policy analysis with a concentration in education and housing. Um, and I, you know, entered That's city crazy. Government. Like, who the hell made majors in that? <laughs> like, I never even heard of that. <laughs> the new school. I'm a wow. big, big That, that, is, that is just incredible school. and right. amazing. Right. And so um, I continued to perform, you know, not, I guess you can say, it wasn't full-time, but I was still performing in some ways, but really honing in on, you know, entering public service. And um, through that, over time, you know, it's it's really grown in many ways. I now am back in the arts, but I am also have found a new passion, which is I am really passionate about getting more women of color to run for office. And that is the mission of Women of Color for Progress. Great. I was just right. about to ask you to talk more about where you're working now and what the advocate advocacy is there and what right. like a typical work week would entail Absolutely. for you because yeah, I find so, this fascinating so my, again my full-time duty um, I work in city government I'm an advisor I focus on education policy supporting students of color I work on a few different criminal justice related projects and then after hours I'm heavily involved in two different political organizations one being um, New Kings Democrats in Brooklyn and then Women of Color for Progress, which is an organization that I hope to co-found along another. Oh, so so you're a co-founder of that? I am one of the co-founders. Um, yeah, we are a group of just, I mean, powerful, ambitious women. Um, I can encourage everyone to check out our website. But yeah, Women of Color for Progress was founded um, on the notion that 
similar, I guess you could say it's a time's up, right? The time is up. We want to ensure that women of color are in positions of power, that they are being represented, um, that we have more women of color elected so that we can make sure our voices are heard and that policies are being passed that are supporting women. But here's the thing, there's research that shows when women of color are elected into office, they don't only benefit women of color, they benefit immigrant women. They benefit you know all types of different marginalized community because that is what women of color bring to the perspective, right? They bring a holistic approach because of their multi-identity. Um, right. no, right. no one that has never been discriminated against knows what it's like to be discriminated against. Right, and I think it's, it's again, this goes back to this whole notion of like the intersection of, of your identity, right? When if you're a woman of color and if you're also gay and if you're also Muslim, all those identities, right, right. impact the way the world sees you and, and the experiences that you have. And so for us, we think it's important that women of color are at the core of the table in terms of policy making and decision making. And we're really, really excited to start building that pipeline of getting women to run, but also, um, you know, creating more opportunities for women of color to become policymakers, union leaders, right? Like for us, it's about building that pipeline. What is the, that's, that's a good pipeline to build, better than the poverty to prison pipeline. Right. <laughs> so what is, what, what is, uh, what's one of the, pro of the projects you're working on right now that you can share? Wow. Um, okay, so I guess with Women of Color for Progress this spring, we are really trying to hone in on having more educational um, meetings for our members, right? We want them to really be informed about you know, what is new about the city council structure. We want them to be informed about county committee and how to run for that. Um, another project that I'm working on that's separate from Women of Color for Progress, I've started um, doing some, I guess you could say freelancing and working with a phenomenal woman called Ebony Underwood. And she founded an organization called um, we Got Us Now, and We Got Us Now is a national organization committed to supporting children of incarcerated parents. Mm. And so that obviously is something that's very dear to me, and I look forward to um, building that partnership and, and growing with that organization. Um, outside of the two political organizations, I'm also heavily involved with a youth development organization called the Fiverr Children's Foundation. And what's so unique about Fiverr is they make a 10-year commitment to young people from the age of 8 to 18. They provide year-round mentoring, counseling, they help them get into high schools, college, they provide them with internships, they pay for the SAT classes, and then after you graduate from the program, they're still supporting you as an alumni, helping you navigate college and grad school. Um, and so I'm currently the chairwoman. I'm in my fourth year of chairing the alumni board. Um, so I'm really busy outside of work and um, also balancing being engaged. <laughs> yes, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I want to get to your story. We're going to get to it in a second, but I want to ask you this one question before we get to it. Do you see yourself running for office? <laughs> and if so, when? Ah, that's a great question. Um, it's a question that I've been asked many times. I will say this. I've definitely have considered it. Um, when? That's TBD. <laughs> that's TBD. Okay. Well, while we're TBDing it, why don't we, uh, a little pecao, because I don't say a little birdie because okay. it's just the fish out of agua show. A little pecao told me that you had some uh, pieces to read for us. So I have two pieces. The first one is called The Awakening, and this is a piece that my father actually started while he was incarcerated, and then I got to finish the spoken word piece, um, and it was a piece that I was able to actually read to him while he was in hospice, so it's one that's very personal. 
Um, but it's really about the journey of this woman getting out of a abusive relationship. Um, I never actually got to talk to him about it, but I have a really good feeling that it was more than likely his tribute to my mom. And the second piece is called Yo Soy Boricua, and it's about my personal experience being a light-skinned, redhead Boricua and, you know, navigating that experience. Um, so I'm really excited to share both of these pieces with you all. Okay, so which one first? Um, let's, let's start off with the awakening. Okay, the awakening. So here we are. Jasmine Mari Fernandez, take it away. You see, she used to love hard, long before her heart got kicked, pushed, and pulled around. He grabbed her heart and ended up burning it like a perm. Although her eyes saw the deception, her heart just wouldn't let her learn. Some dumb woman was she. Everything he said, every time he would lie, she believed. Her heart died. She must have died a thousand deaths. She thought she would never catch a breath. Nothing left. He stole the heart beating from her chest. She tried to call the cops, but you see, that type of thief, they can't arrest. And so there she was left to bleed. But like always, he would return eventually. Seducing her with his words and telling her he would change, he would make things right. And just like night, she would return to his side. Even when her friends protested, she told them, mind your business, because this is complex. To me, it's more than just sex. Bad one, though, because once again, she became his victim. But finally, after several attempts, she got fed up and left. She tried to move on and put on a front like she was okay, and yet the pain she felt was killing her inside. But you see, the story doesn't end there. Weeks passed by, and this pain she felt was no longer pains of love, but rather a pain in her lower back. She thought it was due to the vitamins and iron her body lacked. Only to find out later by the doctors she lost more than just blood, but a little him as well. This woman ended up going crazy. Two weeks later, the doctors finally diagnosed her with the deadly virus of love insanity. This poor woman was put into rehab, being released a year later due to the doctor saying, this time it's different, she's now more stable mentally, but you see, all she wanted was revenge, that was her reality, and so she went about her way, gaining a piece of herself back each day. Finally confident and strong, she stood ready to face him again, and then that day came. He cried and begged for her to take him back, but his words did not work this time. He began to use force as he raised his voice, eventually leaving him with no choice. At this point, it was either her life or his, so she took that blade and sliced his heart away, leaving him left there to bleed, and that was the end of all of her misery. But of course, the cops found her, and she was arrested for first-degree murder. Till this day, she lies behind bars, but regardless, she smiles continuously, because according to her, she says, emotionally, I'm finally free. Wow. I want to, like... <laughs> snap, 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 fingers on the air. <laughs> Now, the next piece is called Yo Soy Boricua? Yes, the next piece is called Yo Soy Boricua, and here we go. There was a point in time where I trapped myself by the history of who we are. I thought to myself, I am the way I am because my ancestry roots back to the time when European masters raped my Taino Indian sisters, creating mixed racial babies like me. Actually, to be honest, the following led me to fall deeper into my identity crisis, who am I? Who should I identify as? Because although my genes are authentic to that of the Latino culture, my skin color is white. So which box do I check? 
And yet, right when I started to begin to find comfort in my own features, I was hit by the slap of my very own saying, I am not Puerto Rican enough because I wasn't born on the island, but rather on the mainland. And I am not Puerto Rican enough because I don't understand the struggles of being identified as Commonwealth. And I am not Puerto Rican enough because I didn't experience the summers of playing on the beach and pulling from the canepa trees while listening to the voice of the coqui. Then there are the outsiders who tell me I am not Puerto Rican enough because I was born here, so therefore I should only identify as American. But you know what? Today I declare the following. I no longer will live in between. Rather, I will celebrate my identity as a proud New York Rican. Yes, I am a light-skinned, natural, curly redhead, tiny waist, big hips woman with a real New York attitude. I'm talking about the type of attitude that makes me wise, artistic, eager, ambitious, a real, eager, ambitious Boricua. This said, I am not a product of colonization. I will not feel guilty for being Commonwealth, nor will I only identify as just American. In all actuality, I am the mixture of the past and tomorrow and today. Therefore, I will live freely like my flag without allowing others to dictate my identity. Why? Because yo soy Boricua. That, that was some powerful stuff, girl. Thank so you. let me ask you a question. Did you ever hear of a play called Yo Soy Latina by Linda Nieves Powell? Mm-mm. Look her up. Linda Nieves Powell, she was on, I've, I've had her on the show. She's uh, an educator and a writer and a director and a producer. Um, she's a woman who's a fierce talent and a giant heart and she wrote a play called Yo Soy Latina. Then her work is amazing and I think you would enjoy it very much. I will absolutely check it out. So let's um talk about Instagram. where where can we find Jasmine so my Mati? My handle is J Mati Fernandez and you can contact me there on Facebook. I'm under Mati Fernandez and that's a great way to contact me. Are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter as well. It's the same as my Instagram handle, J Mari Fernandez, J M A R I Fernandez. So like her on Facebook, follow her on IG and Twitter because you can, because yes. she's fabulous. Yes. So, Jasmine, um, I want to ask you this one question before we close that I ask of everybody. Um, and I think this is going to be a really poignant question for you uh, because of what we've been talking about. If you were in a room with the child that's just looking out the window or sitting on the bed, standing with no life in their eyes, and you know it's because they feel that there's something inside them that's more than what society and the people around them are saying that they have a right to think that they can be. Mm-hmm. What would you tell that child? I think the biggest thing I would tell that child is that you are worth it, that you matter, that you are loved, and that you have the potential to dream and and to really exceed all those goals, right? Um, don't try to be like LeBron. Don't try to be like Oprah. Be you, and and that's what makes you unique. And bring that spirit and that energy, and continue to remain true to your heart and to your feelings. Um, and also, the last thing I would say is, don't be afraid to ask for help. I think that is so important. I think you need to remember that there are people there who love you. Um, and even when you don't think there are people there, you just have to be willing to ask for help. Jasmine Mari, I wish there were more people like you in this world. Maybe they are, but I just haven't found them yet. <laughs> I hope that our paths cross again soon. I hope so as well. Thank you for being Thank one fish so on the I appreciate Woo-hoo! it. Hug on the air! Yay! Oh.
Seems like it was yesterday when I saw your face He told me how proud you were, but I walked away If only I knew what I know today Sometimes I just wanna hide Cause it's you I miss And it's so hard to say goodbye When it comes to this Ooh. Would you tell me I was wrong? Would you help me
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Christina Aguilera with Hurt from her Back to Basics album back in 1992. Another song that Jasmine Mari Fernandez picked for her episode. Yeah, Jasmine Mari, when the East is in the house. <laughs> ah, well, kids, that's our show. You have been listening to Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. We're going to close this episode with the last of Jasmine's picks from Mark Anthony and his Desde al Principio album, which means from the beginning, from 1999. The song is called Preciosa, Precious. And stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next. And we will be back next week with an all new show. And next week is going to be another month. Oh boy, winter's almost over, kids. And you know what we have to say to that? <laughs> I bet you can guess. Woohoo! Yo sé lo que son los encantos de mi borinquen hermosa. Sola quiero yo tanto, por siempre la llamaré preciosa. Yo sé de sus hembras trigueñas, sé del olor de sus rosas, beso a mi tierra riqueña, por siempre la llamaré. Preciosa Isla del Caribe Isla del Caribe Borinque Preciosa te llaman las olas del mar que te baña Preciosa por ser un encanto, por ser un Edén. Y tienes la noble hidalguía de la Madre España Y el fiero cantío del indio bravío lo tienes también Preciosa te llaman los bardos que cantan tu historia No importa el tirano, te tirate con negra maldad Preciosa será sin bandera, sin lauros, ni gloria Preciosa, preciosa, te llaman los hijos de la Preciosa te llaman los bardos que cantan tu historia No importa el tirano, te tirate con la maldad Preciosa será sin bandera, sin lauros, ni gloria Oh, preciosa, preciosa, te llaman los hijos Hey!